Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&A. Two audio blunders to talk about. First, I still have a bad cold. I think it actually got worse, so my voice is going to be even worse than the weekly roundup this week. Hopefully it'll be better by next week. But last week, holy crap, what a blunder that was. So after all of the massive audio fails I've had over the years, I always listen back to the audio uh, first in the single shots, then once again when I switch over to the side-by-side -side with the browser, and then I'll randomly listen again a couple of sections into it, and very often I'll hear pops or something, so I'll go back and re-record one or two, or maybe I'll get lucky and it's only that one. But generally, I've been checking my work more often before it's all over with, so I don't run into issues like last week. However, I assumed... We all know what you say about people that assume that since I had my lapel mic on and I was using OBS in the same settings, that it would have been fine. And it was fine for the single shots, but when I switched over to the side-by-side -side with the browser, somehow it had switched over to using the microphone built into the Kia webcam, which is far away from me which is why it got that screwed up, and I didn't check until after. And when I did, I started editing it, and the first shot was fine, so I did all of the audio processing. When it was totally over, that's when I went, what the heck happened? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, totally my fault. I'm really sorry for anybody who got annoyed by that terrible audio, but I wanted to, to share why, both to just to just show a little more that I do actually really care about these and I'm not just blowing it off, but also to help anybody who's in the same situation. Whenever you switch back and forth between scenes when you're recording, unless you're live, which hopefully the people listening would let you know if there's an audio issue, that happens to me all the time, but if you're just using OBS to record, always do a little test run, even if you've already just switched between them, just to make sure something like that doesn't happen, so... Sorry, but let's jump in and check out all the cool questions from this week. Testing, testing, just kidding. First up, over on Patreon, Perkin Warbeck said, is there anything to be done for consoles whose screw holes have become stripped because of someone over-tightening in the plastic? They've noticed this issue a lot in their older consoles. Generally, it hasn't been a problem because there's still enough working screws for everything to be secure, but they still don't like to have it not held together as securely as it was designed to be. So my guess on that would be to just use the next size up in the different standard. So for example, if you're using metric and you go to the US standard, just get the same one in whichever is the slightest bit bigger, or maybe depending on how bad it is, you could try to step up a little bit, especially if there's a half size or something. Um, but I mean, I've run into the same issue before. And luckily, if two of four screw terminals are stripped, that means two are still holding the case together, so I kind of just leave well enough alone. But I've definitely seen scenarios in which they're just completely stripped and there's nothing you could do. So while I don't like to hurt original plastics, it's at the point where it's already damaged. So just very carefully step up to the next screw size and don't get too long because then it could poke through and it could cause some issues. But Definitely just, you know, try your best to keep it as is, but if you really feel like when you pick the console up, the case flexes or something, just try to get the slight next step up. Luckily, if you live near a place that has a wide screw selection in a hardware store or Home Depot or something, you could do that. That was a nightmare in New York City because there weren't any big Home Depot-like places with huge screw sets, so I'd have to order stuff on Amazon, and it was always the same price to order 100 as it was 10 so I had bags and bags of screws and nuts and bolts and washers that were all random trying to find exactly this a few times, and I ended up 
spending way too much money when I could have just gone in and spent three bucks at a big box store somewhere. So uh, hopefully you live near a place where you could do that. And um, that should be okay. But I would only use that as a last resort just because I'm kind of picky about my consoles. But that should be a decent enough solution. And if anybody else has any other ideas, please let me know. And just remember that the goal is still to be able to unbolt it. You could always just put some glue around the screw and then screw that in. But then how's that going to work getting it out? So any other suggestions? I'm all ears. Uh, maybe there's a, a better one out there. Next up, Mike Weitzner works in reality TV, so does my brother, uh, and they deal with bad voiceover recording all the time. As of late, Adobe's Audio Enhance has been a lifesaver. You might want to give this a shot for next time. So I did try the Adobe Podcaster thing when it first came out, and I even used it on one of these, and everybody voted it terrible. So, But that was last year, so I will absolutely bookmark this and try that for next time. Maybe I could even, if I have time, download the audio from last week and just, just to see what would happen. I'm not going to re-upload the video or anything, but I appreciate the suggestions, and anybody who has, anybody who's a pro at this stuff, I'm always all ears. I always want to share what I do, but I'm always very honest that I kind of am learning as I go, and if it wasn't for people like, like you, like Epos Fox, I wouldn't have gotten this far, so thanks for the suggestion. Next up, Zachary Van Welling has an N64 AV question for me. N64 is their favorite system tied inextricably to the prime years of their childhood gaming. They're trying to figure out the best AV option at this point. They once owned an Ultra HDMI Hardware One kit, but sold it when the updated version dropped. Then they were looking at trying to get their hands on Bordy's advanced RGB board, but here they are years later, still just using standard composite or insurrection S-video cables. They plan to purchase the RetroTink 4K on launch next month. They're wondering if all they need is Voltar's simple RGB mod, or if they're missing some feature included with Bordy's advanced RGB that the Voltar one wouldn't cover. So what you need to do is check your motherboard revision. I'll link you to the page on RetroRGB, but that's going to answer the question for you. If you have an older board revision that you could do the simple mod to, just do that and the RT4K will do everything else that you need. And that's not at all a dig to Bordy's awesome mods. Uh, it's just I'm giving you the easiest solution to get RGB. Now, here's where things get a little complicated and you might end up with HDMI anyway. If your uh, N64 is one of the later models that require the more advanced mod, it's about the same uh, technical ability required to do the advanced RGB as it is the advanced HDMI. So you might seriously want to think of doing Bordy's HDMI mod so that you could route the one-to-one -one pass through digital signal into the Tink 4K. Now, you already mentioned the N64 is your, your favorite system, how you're an enthusiast about it, and you're already spending the money on the RT4K. So if you had to do the more expensive or the more complicated mod anyway, or if you just have the extra cash to spend, going HDMI to HDMI in this case would actually be the best solution because you're getting a true digital to digital scale from the start. And it also has the advantage of you know, if you bring your N64 with you, you could always just plug the HDMI direct into somebody else's TV and then set it back to pass-through mode when you plug it into the RT4K. So I'll leave you a link to the retro RGB page that'll help you figure out whether you have the older or newer one, and then just go from there. If you want to save some money, the RGB out from the originals with a Voltar board is very clean. It is impossible for a digital-to-analog signal to ever truly be as clean as a digital-to-digital, -digital, but you're going to like it. 
But once again, if you have to do the more advanced one anyway, or if you just got the extra money to spend and you want to have the best, then just do an HDMI mod. Uh, but check out the page and kind of make the decision for yourself. Next up, Green Devil is hoping to get a RetroTINK 4K and also use it for streaming. What's the best setup if they want it to still play on their PVM, but stream to an HDMI capture card? Consoles route to an Xtron switch to a VGA to BNC cable to your PVM. So um, there's a couple of ways to do this. First, does your Xtron switch only have one output? If it's a cross point matrix switch, it should have multiple. Just double check. Um, you know, it's very easy to gloss over these things, especially if you have one of the giant ones. But let's just assume for the sake of argument, it only has one output. If that's the case, uh, go VGA to BNC into your PVM and then BNC to VGA, and those are not directional, so you could just buy the, probably the same cable you have, into the RetroTINK 4K, and that would be all you need. You don't even need to leave the PVM turned on. Now, obviously, whatever you route through the PVM goes to the tank, so you can't have different things going to it, but that's all you would need. You don't need to spend any extra money. That's kind of it. Um, the only thing that you might want to think about is if your Xtron switch doesn't have multiple input outputs, uh, and you would like to, maybe look for one that has that, so that way you could route different consoles to the PVM as you would to the scaler. But if you don't need that, and your your switch only has one output, that's all you need, just a cheap cable. So uh, the same one you've got, just buy another one of those, and you should be good to go. So uh, luckily that was an easy one, but let me know if I missed anything. Next up, HH recently put a bunch of consoles onto a server rack with a bunch of shelves to allow them to move their setup between spaces in their house. And while it's worked out pretty well, the one issue they're having is where to mount their SCART switch. They have the push button switch from retro gaming cables that's meant to plug directly into the Tink 5X, but with how everything's routed, they don't really have a good spot to put it, so they'd like to move the switch elsewhere and then keep the Tink in its current spot. So they're looking for either a SCART cable that's plugged to receptacle in the correct direction or um, just a SCART coupler so that they can just get a SCART to SCART cable. The SCART couplers are all over eBay. Just go to eBay and search for exactly that and you can get them for four bucks, two packs for five bucks. Um, the only thing you might want to worry about is if they don't connect securely, you might want to hot glue them in. Now, I know people lose their minds when you talk about glue, but this is the perfect scenario because you're plugging them into a coupler, you're hot gluing them around. If you ever need to remove them, you put some isopropyl and the glue pops right off. This is the perfect scenario for hot glue <laughs> because you don't want it permanent. You wouldn't want to epoxy this thing and then need to take your cables out at some point. Then that's it. They're there forever. So I think that would be a perfectly good solution. Or you could contact Retro Gaming Cables and see if they have a directional cable that's like that for an extension cord. You could kind of search for those as well. But when you start to get cables from people outside of the gaming world, most of them are not properly shielded because most of them are probably going to be used for composite video and you might not even notice. Whereas even if the couplers aren't made that great, it's such a short distance that it shouldn't make a huge deal. Plus, it's a very cheap investment. So I would try that and just see what happens. Uh, I'll, I'll leave a link, but basically just search SCART coupler in eBay or AliExpress and you should have what you need. Next up, Delon 5 is looking for a way to convert a PAL Wii or an NTSC Wii U from component to SCART, and they're having issues with the comp to RGB. They get horizontal pink lines on both a CRT and a Tink 5X. 
So there's a couple of things here. First of all, a pal we will already do RGB SCART. Uh, you would just need to get a SCART cable for that. So uh, I don't need, know if you would need to even go through a converter. I think you would have to force 480p modes with the USB loader or something like that, but that should be an easy solution. But as far as getting weird pink lines or anything, what is the cable that you're using? Um, is it a quality component cable or is it one of the AliExpress ones? And I'm not asking to be insulting. I'm asking because cable quality is very often the cause of weird stuff like this. I've also seen issues where the Wii's menu gets purple, not uh, not pink, but I've seen that on the menu, but then once you launch the game or even the 240p test suite with the color checks on there, on there it's totally fine. So also... <clears throat> do your target displays accept both PAL or NTSC? Because that's obviously going to be an issue that you would run into no matter what. You uh, Some displays won't accept PAL. Um, and, you know, if you're going through RGB, that might not be an issue, but I'm not sure about starting out with component, you're adding a transcoder in there. Going NTSC to NTSC would be no problem, but NTSC to PAL, I don't really know how that would work. So... Uh, you know, my advice, and I mean this with respect, I'm not, I'm not at all trying to brush off your question, but I would just go back and do a couple more troubleshooting steps to see, uh, or maybe if you've already done those steps, just let me know and I could try to help you walk you through this a little bit more. But I wouldn't have guessed that you would have had a problem in that scenario other than mixing and matching color signals. So uh, any more info, let me know and I'll try to help. And I'm sorry, I was kind of useless for this one. Next up, Oliver Clare recently purchased a consoleized Game Gear from the Behar brothers, and while they love it, they want to swap out the power supply with a different one, and they want to verify if it's center positive or center negative. Uh, they're specifically trying to get one of the triad ones from uh, Rondo Products, so they just want to make sure that they get it right. The easiest way, by far, is to get yourself a multimeter and just a cheap one. You do not need to spend money on this. Anything that could do basic DC voltage and tone is all you would need. Um, and in that case, plug the original power supply into a wall. Uh, you know, if, if you live internationally, even if you just plug it into a step-up or step-down converter just temporarily to test, then put the multimeter on the inside and outside, and if you get a negative reading, swap them, and then whatever your red is is going to be power and black is negative. So just test the original and then test the replacement and just make sure it lines up. Um, one thing that you'll note is a lot of those triad kits require pigtails to get the polarity or size correct. So you're going to want to test that with the total solution. And tape or glue the pigtail onto the power supply if it's for a dedicated one. I've blown out quite a few SNES fuses recently because I didn't do that. So that's why I just ordered another power supply and a bunch of fuses. I, I ordered them both from console five and I imagine Luke was chuckling like a power supply and some fuses. Bob's been blowing some shit up, huh? But yeah, so just tape them together so you don't make the same mistakes I do. So that's all you would need to do. Verify the total solution on both and that's it. Now, if you lost the original power supply and you wanted to double check, you could always look it up. However, in Oliver's case, um, it seems like some North American unit or all North American units are center positive, just uh, and same power supply as like the Genesis 2. But for European ones, it might actually have been different. So if you wanted to verify there, uh, you could look up motherboard revisions, and I think you could use a multimeter to test the port itself. 
you would have to open the console up, uh, look up, like look up some chips. Like, uh, you know, if it's an original Genesis, you could look up a CXA chip, which nice big pins, they're all pinned out the same. So ground should always be ground. Look up two of the chips, touch two of the pins with your multimeter with it all powered off, of course, and unplugged from the wall. Uh, and if you get a tone on it, if it beeps, you verified ground. So then tap on both of the pins on the power port and see if one of them beeps and that would verify ground. Now, I'm not sure how that would work with any power or power ports that have voltage protection. Um, maybe that would cause issues, but you know, th that's certainly a good place to start. If they both beep, then you just probably want to go back to looking it up, uh, check motherboard revisions and everything else. But at the very least for your scenario, check the original, check the, um, the, the one that you've purchased and just make sure that they match up and everything should be fine, regardless of which motherboard revision was used. One more question from Delon5 that I don't have a good answer for, but I definitely want to talk about it because there used to be good answers. Um, so Delon5 is looking to route component video through a SCART switch, not convert the signal, but this is for the situation of like, all of my consoles are RGB SCART except for one, so I don't want to have to buy a converter. Uh, let me just route it through my, my RGB switch. And then the target device, whether it's a Tink 5X, an OSSC, a PVM, but your target device, when you turn on the component video, you switch between RGB and component. And then when you go back to RGB, you switch back. So what's a good pass-through adapter? And I don't know anyone that makes them anymore. There used to be a pretty cool one that uh, years ago I bought a basically bought the whole stock from Australia. A buddy of mine helped me out with that, and uh, I just sold them at cost. I didn't even make anything off of that. Um, but that was it. Those were the last ones I saw that were readily available. We might be able to make one. Hopefully somebody could take something like the SCART coupler, the open source design, and edit that so that you could have RCA inputs on the, uh, on the top. I think the easiest way to fit it would be probably, I don't know if you could jam five RCA connectors on top. If you could, awesome. If not, three for the video and then one 3.5 millimeter jack for audio, that would work too. You could just get a little pigtail adapter for that. But we need a community built solution. You could try to have custom cables built. You could try to make your own, but a community built solution would be awesome. So anybody out there feeling like whipping one of these up? Next up, Kelp Help wanted to update us on that free PVM 14M4U that they got. That had a zoomed out look to it, and they found out it was due to caps on the deflection side of the board. Both Steve from RetroTech and his Discord were a huge help to figuring out cap lists as well as how to fix it. It also has three RGB lines that need to be fixed, so the PVM will be turned off until they have time to work. Worst case scenario, Savon Pat lives sort of in the area, so he could probably be able to fix it. So really glad that you're able to determine the problem. And yeah, Steve is awesome. If you're into CRTs, please consider signing up for his Discord. He is my go-to for all of this stuff now. I've been annoying him for years with this now. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you're able to find the solution. But you absolutely went to the right place for help there. So anybody that's working on CRT should probably, at the very least, consider signing up for the Patreon. And if not, just subscribe on YouTube. It's free. Go do it. Next, Billy Retro Gamer said they just picked up a couple of the Retrofrog composite video cables, one for their Sega Genesis and their other one for their PC Engine, since they use one of those adapters that breaks video out to a Genesis 2-style mini-DIN. And they said, since their whole setup is composite with eight systems, it's a breath of fresh air to get some red, white, yellow love. 
obviously not looking for a big change, boost, or miracle, but they're happy to report their findings once they arrive. Well, I've been using them for months, and I can tell you you're going to be happy with them, and you also have realistic expectations, which is a good thing. Realistically, you're not going to get a boost of composite video signal unless the cables you had previously were really, really bad. But what you do get is properly shielded cables so that the audio doesn't go crazy on you. <clears throat> and that's a big deal, too, because what if you're somebody who just wants to appreciate composite video on a CRT, just like a lot of these games were designed to be used, but you also love the music in them, so you put them through a decent stereo system. Those cheap, unshielded cables are going to sound terrible. Tinny, you're going to get, especially when white screens come on, you're going to get that buzz. It's really annoying. So having cables that are made by somebody in the community for us means that you're going to get attention to detail and consistency. So you're not going to get cables where sometimes right is, you know, the, the right one is white and the uh, the left one is red. The, the swapped cables happen all the time. And, you know, you're going to get stuff that actually works when it shows up. So... You know, supporting the community is good, um, but I would say, realistically speaking, what you're going to get with this is guaranteed not crappy audio, maybe a boost in composite, but really more of the consistency. So audio and consistency are why I recommend those. And because, I, you know, with all respect to some of the sellers around the world, I'd so much rather have you spend your money in the community than on some AliExpress thing was probably made for 50 cents and it's going to fall apart in a year so <laughs> or won't have a tight connection whatever whatever but i've been using them i love them I've, I've tested them on every single device that has a genesis 2 mini din and they work and fit great so good choice i'll leave a link to anybody that uh, that wants to buy them next up marcello medini is looking for a recommendation for a good mixed use oled tv they're looking for one that they could use with their retro tink 4k with retro but also with 13 other HDMI devices hooked up through their HDMI switch. Currently, their setup's in the basement, so bright ambient light isn't an issue, and it would like to be under three grand in a 65-inch TV. So all of those are completely realistic uh, requirements, and if you get one this weekend with some of the Black Friday sales, you could probably be way cheaper than that. So <clears throat> the only thing that I would strongly recommend is an LG OLED that's 120 hertz. Now, while the Tink 4K can't do 4K 120, it can do 1080p 120, so there might be scenarios in which you would run the lower resolution, but you would prefer BFI or any of the other solutions there. <clears throat> and by the way, that's with not just video games, but with old movies and old TV shows as well, especially old movies. The 96 hertz mode, which should work perfectly on the newer LGs. I've only tried last year's and then the previous couple with them. But that should work totally fine. Uh, that 96 hertz mode for old movies makes it look very close to a film. You get that perfect BFI flicker. Uh, so it's uh, so three on, one off. <clears throat> Check out the launch video I did. Sorry, my, my voice is starting to go here. I'll, I'll make it to the end, I promise. Now, you, you should probably dig into the features of each of them and see if there's one that has something that the other one does. But for me personally, LG OLED that's uh, 120 hertz, and on sale, I would say, is what I would go for right now. If my LG OLED, which is now behind me, died, that's exactly what I would go for. So luckily, you could definitely get that under three grand. In fact, you might be able to get that TV and the RetroTink 4K for, the, for under three grand. So check out deals this week. 
um, I'll look up any on Amazon that I find that should be okay and leave an affiliate link because why the hell not? You don't feel like you have to buy it with the affiliate link, but if it happens to be exactly what you're looking for, cool. Then I get 50 cents off the sale or something. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I would definitely go for. And I did kind of research Sony and Samsung. And while some of these OLED TVs have really cool features, I just keep going back to, you know, watching HDTV test, Vincent Tio, love that guy. Um, and just kind of going through and hearing people's feedback, I would still stick with an LG OLED, even with their shortcomings, because your Tink 4K is going to take care of most of the shortcomings. But if anybody knows anything I don't, please let me know. I don't own a new OLED. I don't have much hands-on experience with the, the new new ones. So please just let me know if I made a mistake here, but I'll see if I could find a link to one that's pretty decent. All right, so there was only one more topic left, but my voice is pretty much gone. I'm uh, struggling to get through this. I've tried to record this session quite a few times, so I'm going to skip to the end. Last week, there was a conversation about Intellivision RGB mods, and I had forgotten there was a board out that I, I just never had a chance to test, so I don't know anything about it. Maybe it's great, maybe it's not, but it's definitely worth posting the link for you all to check out. But in some of the conversations this week, uh, some of the people had talked about a seller who has a reputation for saying things like, ah, this board doesn't really work that well, but I'll just dump them off on eBay and then make better ones next time and see if I can improve it. So I don't want to support anybody with that attitude, but I also don't have the voice or the energy right now to give any more details. And I really want to avoid all drama. The drama I like is when my friends and I joke around with each other. Many people don't realize that we're joking it's fine, but that's the drama I like. I don't like to get into this stuff because whoever wins is the person who has the most amount of friends with the most amount of time to sit on social media and repeat what they want. The truth never actually wins. So uh, I'm going to try to very politely skirt my way out of this one and just say, if you wouldn't mind, I didn't want to post any uh, a screenshot of it because I didn't want any of the people who had the discussion to feel like I was attacking them. I'm not. It's not your fault that you don't know what happens behind the scenes. I just don't want to promote a bad seller. So I'm going to leave links to uh, Atari mods that somebody had said we should check out their website and in a television mod that I've never done before. I'll let you all uh, tell me if they're good or not, if you've installed them. I'm just trying to find the most diplomatic way possible to very slowly step away from the mic when talking about that other notorious seller because I just I don't have the energy to get into it. Uh, hopefully that's not offensive to any of you amazing supporters. I just I'm always trying to sit in the middle and do the right thing for you while also trying to keep an eye on who are the, uh, the bad actors behind the scenes, which to be honest, 99% of the people in the scene are amazing. There are just a few that are kind of awful and they're usually really good at navigating publicly. So it's uh, I don't have the energy or time to go up against that. So maybe if you all would just do me a solid and, you know, just let this one go. Just click on the links. And, you know, if you've already bought one of the other ones and it's working for you, fine. But I, I'm not, definitely not promoting anybody uh, who doesn't sell the rights or who has a long history of not selling the best stuff. So... Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you have any questions for next week that's not related to that, <laughs> please leave your question wherever it is that you support in the latest Q&A post. Uh, if I don't get to your question, it's probably just because it came in after I was done recording, but before I uploaded it. 
and just make sure to put it on the newest post because I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. And I like just scrolling through in real time like we're hanging out together. Although you should be very happy we're not hanging out together today because I don't want you to get whatever this nasty-ass cold that I have is. This is terrible. So hopefully by next week I won't sound like this. Uh, hopefully I'll end on a, a happier note. And uh, yeah, sorry for skirting the question, but uh, thank you for all your recommendations and hopefully we could figure out some newer and updated mods for those consoles or maybe find out that the ones that I linked to are actually awesome and we could get more people selling them.